is a place I'd give the world to see Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico Marvellous. Uh, yes, we're going to uh, Latin America now, to uh, Campeche in Mexico. And uh, it's a very good evening to our, our good friend John Bonfilio. Uh, John, very good evening to you. Very good evening to you, Mr. Kellner. Now, the first story we're going to look at, an amazing, amazing uh, project uh, this chap has. He's, um, he's aiming to walk the length of the Amazon, the length of the Amazon, walk all the way from the source <laughs> of the river to uh, where it uh, reaches the sea. Tell me about this guy. Yeah, not just walking, also swimming when necessary. And actually, he's doing it the reverse way, which is part of the point of interest. Yeah, ordinarily, when people do you know, big treks along rivers, they do source, so you know, the highest, mm-hmm. most point where the first drop technically enters a river uh, or a river chain and then goes down all the way down to the sea. He's done it completely in reverse. So he started in Brazil, um, uh, on the Atlantic coast and uh, and has been walking up the 6,500 kilometers from one point to the other in Peru. Um, especially interesting because this guy, uh, Pete Casey, a builder from Sussex, uh, started in 2015. He thought it was going to take him <laughs> two years, but he's been going six years so far. There's going to be a seventh. He's close. But yeah, he's, he's, un- he's under he's, uh been subject to, unsurprisingly, a number of travails because, you know, the Amazon is... Uh, is hardly throughout most of its distance you know populated it doesn't have roads or anything like that so you're going through basically virgin jungle through significant parts of it and and also it i mean it's not a single river it's basically a massive river network so how do you walk alongside you know an area which is basically underwater the entire time um, and also of course covid and lockdown uh, hit him so he spent a couple of years stuck in brazil waiting for that uh, to uh, to pass as well but as we say he's very very close to uh, to his endpoint at the top of the Apurimac River in Peru, although interestingly, which continues, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of uh, questioning of his 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 uh, you know his state of mind. Once he gets yes. to the to the uh, to the source, he's actually then going to continue uh, across to the Pacific down the Andes, which is another 2,000 kilometers. So I think <laughs> Pete Casey is probably going to be walking for a few years yet. Yeah, because he's sort of given up his whole life to do this, hasn't he? Uh, I mean, I assume he obviously gave up all his jobs and everything that he'd done at home. Um, I believe if there's a if there's a marriage or relatives or whatever involved in it, he's more or less given all that up as well. Uh, and therefore, I suppose when he's finished this, because he's not using any crafts at all, is he? There's no boats involved or anything. Uh, he's just walking, sort of crawling or, and swimming and. Uh, is, this is his life, or has been for five years. It is, and he actually did a, a section of, of the Amazon with somebody else um, about ten years ago now, and I think that kind of sparked his his interest in it. And then um, it kind of really invaded his brain, and was something he decided that you know if he wanted to have a major life project that he had to really uh, take on instead of defer. So you know, credit to him, he decided to get on and uh, and do it. And it's not as though he came with you know again to reiterate, he's a he's a builder from. London. So it's not as though he came with, you know, bucks or big mm. bucks or connections behind him. He's done it uh, painstakingly section by section. One of the things which I think almost accidentally he's realized uh, on his journey is, you know, the, the precarious nature of, of the Amazon. So he's been talking about that quite a bit as well. And I know you and I have spoken about, you know, the Amazon mm. uh, a number of times on your show. But I think just, you know, contextually, maybe for people who hear about it, but don't know, 
you know, specifically what the Amazon Amazon is or, or what it means. It's, it's obviously, you know, one of the things we know about it is it's the largest uh, rainforest on Earth. Mostly we think of it as being in Brazil, but it also goes into Venezuela, Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, nine countries in total. The basin has about seven million uh, square kilometers and the rainforest a little bit less than that, five and a half uh, million. And it's lost over a two generation period. It's lost a quarter of its total cover, and that's only accelerating. So, again, credit to him in the sense that yeah, he's actually yeah. drawing a little bit, you know, of, of attention to this in different countries to quite what's what's taking place there in terms of, and not just for the Amazon itself, but how that potentially, in terms of, you know, uh, climate change and climate systems, how that then is likely to affect the rest of us internationally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, talking of uh, iconic uh, things, uh, Ronaldo, the other Ronaldo, not uh, Cristiano, um, is the new owner of the Brazilian club uh, Cruzeiro. I don't know whether you pronounce it like that. We'll find out in a sec. Close, um, close. Close. Yeah, well, I, that's, that's what I aspire to close. You know, <laughs> very rarely get the cigar. But anyway, um, he's, had a, he, he's now manager there, or sorry, owner there. And uh, it's not been a trouble-free start, has it? No, it hasn't. Uh, in, in your uh, positive ledger, in your, to your credit, uh, Martin, uh, Brazilian Portuguese is not that straightforward to pronounce. But uh, you essentially focus on the... Cruzeiro. How it's, how yeah. it's, there you go. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the biggest, you know, historically, really interesting because it's one of the biggest football clubs uh, in in the history of Brazil. But it's been languishing. It got relegated for the first time in its history a couple of years ago. And it's been languishing in the in the Brazilian second division ever since. And it's also relevant to Ronaldo, as you say, the other one, the one who went missing in the 1998 World Cup final and then emphatically didn't go missing in one man of the match in the 2002 World Cup final. Um, it's also the first club of his youth, of his professional playing career. So oh, he's right. got links to it. And he and he decided in December he was going to... I mean, that Ronaldo, the other Ronaldo, the Portuguese Ronaldo now, is really a businessman. He has stakes in a number of different sporting projects, in particular internationally, US, uh, Europe, and of course, uh, Brazil. And he decided he was going to take an ownership stake in in the club in order to bring it back to its former glories. But it is so debt-laden that he's gone in with a side um, and there have been swinging cutbacks and streamlining um, and so on to, to the uh, to the club, which has really irked. Well, I say irked. It's really infuriated, angered a number of its its fans because he's he's really ripped out a number of the the holy grails from the club. In particular, not just sacking the the coach, but the goalkeeper Fabio, uh, who's been playing for the club since 2005, including a remarkable 800 consecutive. Appearances has been told his services are no longer, yeah, no longer needed as though that, you know, that service to the club has been irrelevant. And so there are protests, um, uh, of Ronaldo. He's been uh, called a number of not particularly polite things by, uh, those individuals and outside the club. So, um, you know, I, I guess in some sense you, you can see where he's coming from in trying to, in terms of trying to return the club to its former glory, but certainly the, the rapidity and the speed with which he's you know, he's uh, he's swept a number of different iconic uh, figureheads from the club has has annoyed many, many people there. Yes. Well, I, I was just reading some of the uh, things that the fan group, organized fan groups have been uh, chanting at him, such as uh, Big Fat Ronaldo, come and explain, <laughs> which I don't know what the uh, <laughs> what the Brazilian is for that. But uh, yeah, uh, so it's not not a good start for him at all. But I mean, because you, you would have thought that he would be a bit of a hero. You know, in himself, but it often happens, doesn't it, that somebody who's been, you know, iconic with a club, and this is obviously is where Ronaldo started, um, often when they return, it's not 
an immediate success. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because he has become a somewhat unrecognisable figure now as an as a international businessman. I think one of the things you could say about, for example, Maradona, to some extent, Pele, is that they never went on to do other things and then failed in different I mean, obviously, of course, they, they did in different contexts. But, you know, the, the kind of the dream of Maradona, the dream of Pele, to some extent, has continued to be unsullied. But, but you know, the practical day-to-day realities of who Ronaldo has become and chosen to become, you know, as, a, as an investor in, in football clubs and sporting franchises has meant that really, you know, uh, I guess supporters uh, who are linked to those clubs and remember other days, remember the good old days, uh, for, for sure, you know, anti uh, antipathetic uh, as regards the the kind of changes that he's that mm. he's making. You would think with Cruzeiro it would be a little bit different because obviously it is his boyhood club, but that's certainly not how the supporters see it. No, uh, just finally the uh, beekeepers in Chile, they're annoyed, um, and the bees <laughs> are as well, which of course is, is not, not good for the government. Tell me exactly what's been going on in Chile with the beekeepers. This early on in January, Martin, we already have a contender for story of the year. Uh, it's a very serious story. In terms of you know, the massive decline of, of bees world, worldwide, uh, I mean, just in the U.S., bee colonies have reduced 90 percent since 1962, and they're responsible for pollinating uh, between 70 and 80 percent of all human food crops. And Chilean farmers have been uh, susceptible to a mega drought since 2010 with mass bee die-off. Um, so they've decided this week to take their protests out to the road outside the presidential palace to uh, to, to blockade it, um, but also they've taken their, their, their honeybees, their hives with them as well. Uh, cue uh, ridiculous situations outside of the presidential palace where you've got um, a number of beekeepers in full, uh, not hazmat, but you know what I mean, hazmat suits, and then police trying to intervene, move them on, uh, which was relatively straightforward, but then moving the hives on definitely wasn't straightforward. So uh, You've got uh, a number, a, a lot of uh, photographs and video of the police trying to intervene and move uh, these 60 hives on and being stung to within an inch of their life because obviously they didn't come fully prepared to deal with the bee menace. Yeah, absolutely. Don't try and break up a demonstration where people have 10,000 bees because it's uh, it's, it's never the moral of well. the story. It certainly is the moral. Uh, John, as always, thanks uh, ever so much. And uh, we'll talk again next week, if that's OK. Take care. Speak soon. Good man. There is uh, John Bonfilio joining us from Campeche in Mexico with a look of the